Okay. Assalamu alaikum. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, thank you so much again. I always, um, you know, we talk a lot about how the Quran is like these sessions, like make the Quran just come alive for our age. And the thing that always strikes me is like when you when you hear about personalities that you know, right? Like how many people that just insist on doubt and like I, you know, just like, it's irritating to talk to them because you just know they don't care. They just want to keep asking questions. And so it's just like for me personally, it just is fascinating to think that these are the same personalities from 1400 years ago that you know we still see to our age today. It's like this is just the power of this message. So, and then when, when you learn about how the Quran talks about it, it just really makes you feel like, wow, okay, this is amazing. So anyway, alhamdulillah, thank you so much. Um, does anyone have a question that would like to get us started? Oh, is there a vicar? First, let me ask that. Oh, uh, yeah. The vicar the of this Quran, of this surah, is... Um, unusual because you are asking Allah to give you insight within the very backbone and core of the revelation itself. So when inna anzalnahu fi laylatin mubarakatin inna kunna munzirin this is the very beginning of the surah. And that is what I found to be the most um, compelling zikr of the surah. What is the number of the verse? It's two and three. Two and three. No, three and four. Oh, three and four? Right? Three and four. Thank you so much, Sheikh. Amazing halakha as usual. Um, I just had a quick kind of more clarification for myself. I kind of missed, you made the point, I think it was following verse 38, that um, if you want to be consistent with your doubt and not playful, concede, oh. and then I kind of missed the remainder of that oh, part in the yeah, analysis yeah, on that. So yeah. if you could just explain that again for me. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it, those who are consistent, those who often express these um, ideology of doubt, if they wish to be consistent about their doubts, it will lead them to very dark territory. But that's what consistency requires, because I mean, take for, we, we can, um, every relationship we have, if there is no superior authority that tells us the um, ethics for these relationships, then, these re then all relationships become fungible and functional. So all relationships becomes a matter of um, habit, tradition, practice. Well, if they're a matter of habit, tradition, and practice, then you are always free 
to renegotiate things as you see fit. So, you know, I once saw um, a documentary. It was about a, a, a woman who, uh, who fell in love with her uncle and married him. And the, the whole documentary was about their insistence that society accept their marriage. And they asked a very legitimate question. Um, well, we fell in love. I don't feel he's my uncle. I don't feel she's my niece. Why not? Um, if you truly think that you will just live and you perish, and that's the end of it, um, then what's wrong with doing anything you wish to do as, as long as you can get away with it? Um, philosophically, it's very dangerous grounds. And, I mean, the Quran alerts us to the trajectories of things where, where, where in fact, if we insist on, of course, the trajectory of things, um, there, there is a, a reason that the ethics of capitalism took us where it took us, and the ethics of socialism took us to fascism and Nazism, and one point communism. Um, so that that's the point that I was making. Thank you very much, Sheikh. Um, it's similar to Ramin's, it's more of a clarification or even like a confirmation, this idea of Kitab Mubin and Dukhan Mubin. Mm -hmm. So I get the book that clarifies, but then the smoke that clarifies. Usually we don't associate smoke yeah. with So it's a clarification. I've got written here a smoke that clarifies as an alarm system. Exactly, because the smoke is, I mean, at most typical smoke is an indication of some fire somewhere. Mm. And it's a problem. There, there's a problem somewhere. But you can ignore the smoke um, and adopt the, the, the delusion that, well, there's smoke, but there's no fire. Um, there, there's, smoke, there's smoke, but there's no fire. Um, and, and that's what's uh, the remarkable thing, Dukhan al is smoke that will, that in fact helps you realize what's wrong. Um, and I think that's why the, 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 the surah became because you, you, we have, a, it was clear that it was this idea of uh, what is that smoke, and in what way, in what way was the smoke be a clarifier, and the relation between the smoke and doubt as as a way of vanity. Um, the indulgences of doubt that while you know certitude can become a path to ignorance but doubt 
can become a path to ignorance. Although that was designed to become a path to knowledge. You know, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of saying, of saying something about what you said at the beginning about the hijab. Okay. I don't know. After questions. Should I? Yes. Mm. Uh, I have two questions. Um, so, the Surah Dukhan says, Kitab uh, Mubin, Dukhan Mubin. Rasul Mubin and Sultan Mubin. Mm -hmm. um, just the if there's a connection between all those, and also how can Dukhan be something that is Mubin in the sense of, I mean, you first define Mubin as something that's clarifying. Mm -hmm. How can Dukhan be something that's Mubin? And then the other question was how. Does uh, verse 56 respond to 35 where it mentions a moted uda? And, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, note that the, the idea of Ibana, the idea of clarification and the idea of on the one hand you have vain doubt or playful doubt that prevents us from discernment but then on the other hand you have the book of discernment you have the cloud of discernment you have the prophet of discernment you have even Bala'un Mubin. وَأَتَيْنَاهُمْ مِنَ الْآيَاتِ مَا فِيهِ Bala'un Mubin. So, here the discernment you have the book that tells you the truth. But on the other hand, the errors of your ways, the consequences of your past, the hardship and misery that you call upon yourself can become your teacher. It can become your means of discernment. And in the same way that you pause at smoke that causes discernment, they say, well, how, how can smoke or fog be a passive discernment? It can be a passive discernment if it tells you about the fires that are burning. Fires that you're not going to notice unless you notice the smoke. And this is the... the, 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 the all the discussions about the surah of discernment. It is as if telling you 
there are people that have legitimate doubts, but there are people that insist on doubts as a path and a way of life. Some even reports tell you it's Abu Dhabi, but I've, I've discounted that because these are not very... Um, but, you know, you like the personality of Abu Dhabi, if you will, as, a, as, a, as an example. Um, but the surah is, is telling us that those who are committed to a pass of confusion are going to bring upon themselves numerous problems. Now, these problems in themselves, every calamity that befalls them, every anxiety, every depression, every restlessness, every uh, a, a broken relationship is an opportunity to correct their path. And then if they do, then it actually led them to discernment. discernment. But if they don't, then they suffer the consequences of that. They, you know, they, they've lived in service of their ego so here, you know, suffer the full consequences of your arrogance. Um, remarkably, Surah Al-Dukhan was it's as if telling the, the Prophet you know, among those who are going to be persecuting you, there are people who are unreachable. And the only thing you can tell them is please learn from the trials and tribulations that you are going to, you've, you've called upon yourself in your life, that you are inviting the disasters. It's like saying, learn from the demons that you've called to haunt you. Because they're not going to respond to anything else. And if they don't respond to that, then they're lost. It's, it's, uh, and that's why it's, it, it ends with, it, it's as if it ends on a, on a, on a note of skepticism. Um, just watch as we watch. It's as if, you know, there are those who are unreachable. And this is part of the da'wah, is to realize that not everyone is reachable. And then Mawta Oh, yeah, the, the, this is... Um, this is, of course, um, the, at the most basic level is that those who attain salvation, they die and then they're, they're resurrected and they don't taste death again. Now, does this, it doesn't necessarily mean that they live forever, but it means that for whatever their existence in salvation, it does not include another experience with death. 
while those who are not do not attain salvation they will taste death repeatedly and be resurrected repeatedly or brought back repeatedly now whether as a lot of sufis say that um, it is the death of the soul that the the test that they taste repeatedly it is the state of despair and realization that there is no way that they will ever come close to God um, that they're shunned from God forever or whether in fact that they are they in fact die and they're brought back again only to die again that, that you know and it's it, both are probably true the, um, remember that for those and and I, I I think in, in at least my experience of life is, uh, is actually very consistent with that. Those who uh, are close to Allah, death is not harsh upon them. Um, but death is a very unpleasant experience for those who are not close to Allah. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a neutral experience, it's actually a very unpleasant experience. Um, since I I blew off steam about Nawal Sadawi, Nawal Sadawi used to say uh, she wrote this in, in in one of her books that she used to say at a lot of interviews she that there's no death she doesn't believe in death because she believed that you're just going to perish and when you perish you just don't feel anymore and that's it there's there's no resurrection, there's nothing beyond death. And so, and um, someone told me that in her last moments she was pulling her hair and screaming and um, banging her head. Yeah, I've, I've uh, Illness has made me, put me in the company of, uh, illness and life experiences has just put me in, in many places where I've seen people die and um, uh, and uh, there's a big difference between smiling with relief before your, the, 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 the light goes out of your eyes and uh, the look of terror. Uh, that a lot of people have before the light goes out of their eyes. Um, I don't remember which halakha it was, but it was one of the recent ones that you talked about people who become so lost and, and so inundated in the realm of shadows that when they actually are exposed to something that 
brings light, it's like they have an allergic reaction to it, and they, they recognize it as, as, or they perceive it as rather as a threat. Yeah. Um, and so when, when we got to the verse, the Hadduchan Mubin, um, and, and my translation has in, in brackets, it's saying that that verse is addressed to the Prophet, but it, that seems like it's, it's an interpretation. And I wondered if the previous verse, if actually it's saying not Prophet watch out for this day, but it's referring to these people that are lost in doubt, that are, are playful and in their doubt, addicted to doubt. Um, and then if Dukhan Mubin might be a different, especially since this is coming uh, following Surah Taha that's talking about the construction of reality. And since the, that day of judgment is a day when, when truth is revealed and is inescapable, if it's describing that these people who are addicted to doubt, who spent their whole life just, just cemented in their doubts, if that's going to be their um, experience with the truth that is inescapable on that day, that it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's something it's clarifying, but to them it's like smoke as an expression of those people who are uh, in the world of shadows and have an allergic reaction tonight. Uh, I mean, that's really interesting. Um, because, of course, when it says for when it tells the Prophet, well, wait until the Sama, the heavens, brings a discerning smoke. Of course, I mean, the. the uh, um, it is not talking to about the prophet physically waiting, because we know that the prophet leaves this world, and you know, unless you you believe that it is talking about a past event of the drought and all that, so it's, it's it is not just addressed to to the prophet, but it's addressed to a, a meaning. A now, I think it it. The construction would bear the meaning that you just gave. Um, because in several surahs, as we will, inshallah, will see, Allah brings our attention time and again to those that have. Um, become so vested in the world of shadows even if they're not aligned to the Hizb al-Shaitan, to the party of, of, of the devil or so they're not consciously part of um, the satanic forces but they belong to the realm of the world of Satan, the, the and the, this is inshallah. I mean, we'll, we'll get that. That part of what Satan has done to defy Allah is to create an a delusion and to invite people to that delusion as a stable reality. But it is not a stable reality. And like everything that comes from Satan, 
it is ultimately disastrous for the human soul. Um, it is like the the invitation to, you know, Muslim theologians often describe alcohol as the drink of Satan or the, the, the drink of the devil. The delusion of this will take your problems away. But in fact, like so much of what Satan presents, it only reinforces your problems and augments your problems and make them build up endlessly. And those who invest themselves in this type of these types of constructs, they the worst type of cases is when they reach a point that in fact whatever comes from the divine is not just that something they don't miss anymore, but something that actually causes aversion and they are repulsed by it. Um, now, of course, you know, there, there's, you know, are they repulsed because it makes them feel guilty or are they repulsed because they effectively have embraced the satanic world? So, you know, you find this in, 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 uh, in real life. Um, you know, I've known people that uh, savagely, savagely torture uh, the pious and with absolute vehement uh, want to see them wiped off the earth, face of the earth. You know, this is of course an extreme case, but there are a lot of people who just, they've lived in filth for so long that purity repulses them, um, scares them, uh, makes them restless and uncomfortable. And yes, for the, can you imagine then being confronted at the point of resurrection um, with the truth of who you are, that you, you've resisted all your life, um, and, and that, that's a meaning that I think can be easily supported by the text. Anybody else with a question here? All right. Um, so one question from the interactive group. Um, would the professor agree that the state of restlessness, constant anxiety, and self-deception can bring about clairvoyance and a move to the divine um, if this process is brought on by the alarm bells of a smoke or fog but leads to the divine? Is this move equally as valid as a move to the divine without the warning of fog? And if not, is there a healthy, quote unquote, healthy way of inducing a state of restlessness and anxiety that leads to the divine? No, it is an equally valid way. And a lot, uh, it, I mean, a, a lot of people wake up because they confront the smoke and confront the reality of the smoke. And they, they just simply 
um, become tired of it. And they, they decide that they're going to make whatever the sacrifice is necessary to self-cleanse. Um, I mean, there, there are many examples of people who do that, and the type of serenity and peace that, that they, they experience, you know... Um, converts. Converts, Chris says converts. Yeah, it's true, converts. Um, <laughs> converts are a very special breed of people um, because that is often what draws them to to the path of Islam in the first place um, and but it's it's important that they that they remember that 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 experience is far more valid than a lot of the technical jargon that they encounter with traditional Muslims who a lot of times have have never felt the longing for the divine and don't know what the longing for the divine is. Um, but no, absolutely, I mean, it is, it, it, and that is why Surah Al-Bukhan is is it, it alerts us to something because it wants us to 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 use that that alarm bell as a way of returning to God. Um, the, remarkably, I mean, sort of Dukhan is. Um, um, if you use the entire surah for zikr, and this is just from, and, and you could just try it, you know, sit, sit somewhere, try to clear your thoughts completely, and um, either, if you know Arabic, recite Surah Al-Dukhan yourself, uh, if you don't, if you even turn it on, like bring a recording of Surah Al-Dukhan, and just turn it on and let it play, but just, sit and focus the the barakah of the surah is amazing the 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 type of aura it brings um there is something to that it's remarkable it's amazing okay um another question is this surah talking about doubts which are more specific and start when we are suffering um, or persecuted or is it talking about all kinds of doubts in every phase of life? It, it is talking about the, uh, there are doubt. it's not talking about doubts that come from suffering, it's not talking about doubts that lead people to investigate and resolve and advance. It is talking about the type of doubt that is articulated for its own self. The sort of uh, people who are proud of themselves because they describe themselves as skeptics, but 
skepticism is, is not in itself a truth. It is a challenging of things. But to what purpose? Um, in, in our modern language, we call it skepticism. But it is alerting the Prophet and Muslims to, and, and, and it's, not, it's not a coincidence that it refers to the people of the Pharaoh and to Qom Tubba. Um, both Pharaoh's commitment to skepticism and the people that it, it is all about power. It, it's a skepticism that, that they're skeptical of anything that would challenge the power of the Pharaoh and the duty to obey the Pharaoh. Even, even when skepticism could have led them to a very rational decision like don't to pursue Moses in a sea that is parted. I mean, if, if, if you're following someone and they part a sea, you have to be just really deluded, I think. Uh, and in fact, there's a story that the Pharaoh, I mean, I don't know how reliable, but there's a story that the Pharaoh w w sees his commanders and officers concerned about crossing the sea and he says you see the sea part I parted the sea so we can pursue Moses so he claims the the the, the sea parted for him um, and if if you are so deluded in power and the intoxications of power and service to those who are powerful um, you will be making excuses for them. I mean, I'll tell you, um, in Egypt, unfortunately, one of the worst things is that the military is absolutely out of control because the current ruler of Egypt told the military they can do whatever they want. There's no accountability. So what some members of the military have started doing is they see any woman they like and they say I'm gonna have sex with you and if you don't like it I'm gonna make you disappear off the face of the earth so a lot of these women despairing because no one is going to help them started going on social media and literally recording a help me message such and such officer in such and such place is the, telling me that I either have to surrender to him or such and such. So this is extremely painful. I mean, you can listen to the testimony of these women and it absolutely, if you're, he, if you're decent, that is, it breaks your heart, it makes you cry, it makes you just, you, you know, you, you, no one can do anything to help these people. Okay, so I've shared a lot of these messages with a lot of Egyptians. A lot of Egyptians say, oh, this is just an Ikhwan plot. This is just by the Ikhwan 
these women are just acting to make the Egypt, to give a bad name to Egypt. You mean, now, think, reflect on that skepticism. This is Surah Al-Dukhan. Reflect on that skepticism. These women, they're saying, are giving the names of officers, real officers, because I've verified that myself, who have real positions, who are really powerful, who are going to wipe these women off the face of the earth because they've recorded this message. And they're doing that because they're Ikhwan, they're Muslim Brotherhood, and they want to give Sisi a bad name. Not because they actually don't want to be sexually assaulted. What all I can think of is Surah Al-Dukhan every time this happens. I can't tell you, I mean, this, this is real. <laughs> so many Egyptians, the message I get back, oh, this is just the Ikhwan, this is just Muslim Brotherhood. And you told them, I've contacted these women. I I've, I've, I've know what is going on. No, nothing. They are in total service to the Pharaoh. Okay, how Muslim are they? How Muslim are they? Do you think they're going to go in the hereafter and Allah is going to say, Oh, you went to Hajj and you went to Umrah and you prayed on and you fasted Ramadan. Okay, I'm very happy with you. You know, it's obvious. The Quran is talking about real things. Real things. But then you have the Qawm Tubba, who, you know, they were not deluded in the service of power, but they were deluded in the service of the material progress that their once devout ruler achieved for them. And they were so deluded in the material progress and in the, in the fiction of their own entitlement and their own civilization until the Assyrians came and wiped them off the face of the earth. Oh, we're special. We had a great ruler. We're wonderful. We, you know, we, we have these palaces and these gardens and these uh, irrigation systems and these waters and so on until the Assyrians came and just conquered them in one big swoop. So, self-delusion is a very, but it's, it is, it is when you refuse to believe because you use your skepticism not to challenge yourself to learn more, not to challenge yourself to improve, not to challenge yourself to be, become, to achieve justice, not to achieve equity, not to learn ethics, not to purify and cleanse, but simply to serve your ego. That's what Surah al Dukhan is talking about. Okay, alhamdulillah, now that you're all fired up, do you want to make a comment about my hijab introduction? <laughs> you know,
I mean, I honestly, I, I think it's really unfortunate that, that we... I mean, first, leave Muslim women alone. Muslim women have a right to ask themselves, does Allah want them to cover their hair or not? And to investigate this and to come to a, 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 a conviction about it. The idea that I will not listen to anything you have to say unless your hair is first covered it, it is a sign of our backwardness and 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 the extent to which we just completely don't understand what our religion is about The irony about the hijab is that when someone like, uh, um, what's her name? Um, the one who just died. Nawal. Yeah, someone like Nawal Sadawi says, I want to ban the hijab in all the Muslim countries. No, I'll be the first to, to, to stand up to her and absolutely fight it. Um, when France says, in France bans the hijab in France, it is absolutely unacceptable. Because it is a question, it is not as illegal matter and as a pillar of Islam. It is an interpretive issue. You can understand the text in one way or understand the text in another way. And the ethical issue is that I respect your right to investigate and understand and to act your conscience. But to make that a barrier or a litmus test of Islamicity um, it is um, it is a sign of, of, of how off the mark we are I mean and the sad thing is I know it's true if it, it, we, we as the Sula Institute uh, we would gain so much more currency if Grace would just wear the scarf but and there is so much hypocrisy in the Muslim world because I know a lot of people a lot of women that wear the scarf and Islam means nothing to them and they, they do the most un-Islamic things uh, I know women who wear the scarf and commit sins that are I mean, I know women that wear the scarf and don't even pray. Um, it, it's 
but I would never dare tell my wife to wear or unwear anything. It is not my right. Uh, she is an intelligent, educated person. And so she makes her own decisions and resolves her own conscience in the way that she sees fit. And my role as a husband is to honor and respect that. And I hope that all of you Muslim women out there, that that would be your attitude with your husbands. Um, the path of, to Allah and from Allah doesn't go through the, the, the man you're married to. Um, and don't ever allow a man to, to pretend otherwise. Um, remember, your, your accountability before Allah is, has, will have nothing to do with your husband. Uh, you're not going to gain any points by saying, I obeyed what my husband wanted. And you're not going to be punished for doing what your conscience called you to do as long as you've done your due diligence in investigating what your Lord wants from you. Alhamdulillah. And on that note, thank you again for is there, an incredible is there, surah. Is there anything else? I don't think so. Anybody else have any more questions? Okay. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you Tuesday, inshallah. Have a great rest of the weekend. Peace. 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 Peace.